Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast, it's brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and maybe a a dog or cat listening in, um, we're back for yet another episode here at the Boca Podcast. And I'm here with a a relatively new friend of mine, Brett Yacovella, with Making the Moment Photography. Brett, I thank you, first of all, for making time amidst your busy schedule for the Boca Podcast listeners today. No problem at all. I mean, you had me getting up at least before 11 a.m. today, which is a stretch (laughs) for me normally. So, but for you, Nathan, anything. Well, and, and first of all, and we, you and I were chatting for a little bit before we hit the record button. And, uh, I, you know, there's somebody actually, I think mentioned uh, a little while back that we should create additional content, like the, before the recording conversations and, and release that as additional content for our listeners. But one of the things that I'm a huge fan of, uh, besides something that we're going to get into today, which is the way that you've built and managed your team at making the moment is your, the, the level of energy that you carry. It's not very often that, I get a chance to, to sit with somebody in person. You and I had the opportunity to meet in person not too long ago, had some dinner together and chat. And it's not very often that I have the opportunity to engage with someone and, and a photographer specifically who carries a certain level of energy in the conversation, who actually shows genuine interest and attention, is paying attention, is present with the conversation. And that's refreshing. And I think people will hear that in your voice as we're talking too. So uh, first of all, thank you for bringing that energy. It makes my job a lot easier. And um, let's just, I want to get right into the the questions because we're going to touch on a pretty loaded topic today um, in a little bit. I'm I'm just going to leave it at that. But Technique for time is something that we normally start the conversation off with. And very simply, uh, because Boca, the, the podcast, and ultimately Photographer's Edit is so much about saving photographer's time, I'm curious to hear your take on some element of your workflow that has enabled you to save time in your day-to-day workflow or in your work week so that you don't have to be working 24-7. Absolutely. I think we often see time as something to be managed, and yet we often forgive to forget to live life as we're doing that. So I I have a separation in my mind that helps me. One is using some smart and easy, consistent tools to allow me to manage time. And then secondarily, underneath that and embedded inside of it is a methodology that's not my own. It's something I've adapted and and built in. But uh, I'll share about the tools first. They're simple. um, And I think all of us have access to them. I I use uh, two things. One is um, our, our team as a whole and myself, I use a calendar. I mean, that sounds obvious, but I use, um, there's a free calendar on our, our, our Apple computers. I think it's just called calendar, Yeah. but the intentionality of using it actually really helps me. Meaning I, I don't just right now, for instance, I have on our calendar and my team sees it, that we're set up doing this uh, podcast at the same time, we spent time preparing my entire week so that, um, I would have had time this morning to prepare for the podcast and, you know, even just buffering in time thing to get things prepped and set up. Right. Um, as well as even we, you know, we put on my schedule, Hey, Brett's doing emails here. Brett's open for some conversation here, that sort of thing. So on one level, there's a tool that allows me to kind of block out physically and uh, visually what I'm doing. It does help me a lot on a team level, which I know we'll talk about at some point, but it does allow others, including my family to really see what I'm about and what I'm doing. It, and just I, sometimes having something visual helps because when you're trying to make 
a decision about what to do if there's a new thing that comes into your your the immediacy of your life. Um, we often forget that um, you know a task or an idea or a conversation. Um, you know, they're they're great investments, but essentially our lives are like displacing water. Mm. So if 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 a new event comes in and I want to do a um, you know, there's a, a client wants to do a planning conversation with me and they want to talk about their wedding. Great. Well, I know that I need to separate, you know, the conversation might only be 30 minutes, but I know that I'm going to need to separate somewhere. I need to find an hour somewhere on this day or the next day. And I need to displace the water of the rest of the schedule hmm. and my other events. Otherwise, otherwise I'm going to get overwhelmed. Yeah. I like that metaphor. And it's very true that we have to be, you were just, I think you used the word intentionality earlier. We have to be intentional and as basic as something like a calendar may seem, if we don't, number one, use it. But the thing that I find, at least in the photo industry, uh, based on particularly recent experiences, conversation, is that photographers or maybe just business owners in general, they will put something in the calendar but it doesn't necessarily mean that much. For me, if I put something in the calendar, 99.9% of the time, it is absolute truth. Like it is going to happen. It's a commitment in my mind. And I think there is something to be said for that too. So there is intentionality there. And and then what you've alluded to as well, which I think is really great, is the management of expectations, whether that's with a team or and or with family or significant others who um, you you know you want to make sure that you're giving them a certain amount of time, but you have to be able to get your own work done as well. Uh, you're managing their expectations as to how you're spending your time when you're available. And I mean, I, I do this on a very basic level with even my kids. They have access to my calendar. They know what's going on. And uh, I think that's really great to proactively manage expectations. So the calendar you mentioned is, is the first tool. What's another one? Um, well, I, it's another simple free tool I have is a notes app. <laughs> Yeah. I wish it was fancy, but it works so well to just have an, a, a, something that I can pull up on my phone and it's synced to every device so that I can, I can keep um, a running list of things that are on um, the forefront of my needs that I have to get done and I need to find time for. And then obviously various other curated lists of what else is, you know, hey, here's a big picture goal I'm going to get done this week or something I need to start planning for. It allows me to organize because without organization and visualization of what I'm doing. And that's, again, the counter to me is all about visualization of where I am displacing my time. Then without those two things, it all falls apart. I, I think those are good tools, I, but I, more often than not, my experience has taught me that most of us can adapt and use tools mm. or at least fantasize about using tools, but we never have the framework or the foundation of a methodology, something that says now, okay, well, now that I, have tools to manage time. What do I do with it? Yes. Something like it, you might have a car, but if you have no framework of what the laws are or how you should responsibly drive that vehicle, um, what speeds you should operate it at, at when and where, well, then you're likely to kill somebody. And in much the same vein, we're likely to waste our time. So um, I, I, I'm a, a huge believer in uh, a, a lot of Dr. Covey's teaching. He's the uh, author of quite a few books, but most notably The Seven Habits of highly effective people. And yes. he has this beautiful, and in fact, if anybody's listening to this, it's such a quick Google. Um, it's such a quick look. Um, and it's so visually easy to understand. He has a time quadrant uh, about organizing our lives and it's built off of one of his habits. And it literally places everything we're thinking about doing and everything we're doing into one of four categories or one of four quadrants. And they vary from urgent 
to non-urgent, to important, to not important. And without getting into a giant lecture on how beautiful of a framework that is, I will tell you, it uh, it's a really quick read on like 90 blogs on how to utilize this in your life. And it does help you realize how much we're often spending our lives in activities that are um, urgent but not important versus play, placing our time into things that are not urgent but important. And so it's that's helped me a lot because I categorize what I need to do so that I can figure out how I can put it into my calendar and where and when I can accomplish it. So uh, there are a couple of things that come to mind here. One, first of all, it, it, and again, we were talking about this before we got started, but the uh, I think we're very much on the same page when it comes to philosophy of life on certain things, and and particularly when it comes to this, uh, the significance of having a system within which to use tools. And you know, something for just as yet another example, um, we talk here on the podcast a lot about the idea of a big picture view. And very simply, this is an, a set of overarching goals that drives what we do personally, which then trickles down or should trickle down, I think, to the business model we create, which then trickles down to how we spend our time. So it would be very easy for me to say, hey, go use this task and project management system to our listeners. Uh, it's really great. It's efficient. It's easy to use. But it's not as helpful as if I actually break down the philosophy that drives how I use that particular task management system. So we're very much on the same page there, but I, I actually want to push back just a little bit on Covey. And I've, I've read, I think I've read in, in, in full the, the seven habits book, and we'll make sure to link uh, in the notes of the show notes at bocapodcast.com for our listeners. If they're curious about this book. Um, one of the things that as much as I like structure and, you know, even we, I was just alluding to task and project management, it's also easy to get caught up, kind of geek out, nerd out and get caught up in the process versus actually getting something done. And when I hear about four levels of importance um, associated with what how we're spending our time, it reminds me of um, conversations or even just things that I've heard from other photographers when it comes to processing in Lightroom, for example, where in their culling process, they'll go through and do an initial cull. And then they'll come back and do a secondary call. And then they'll come back and do maybe a tertiary call, which involves, you know, maybe picking a few images for the blog. And then they'll do their final call or something to that effect. But the, the so-called workflow becomes so complicated that it actually gets in the way of getting things done. So I'm curious of your take on this. At what point does as ranking what we do on, you know, three or four different levels get in the way of just simply either doing it or not doing it based on whatever our, our overarching goals are? Oh, yeah. No, 100%. If things become, um, if any system we adopt isn't natural and organic to the way that we live, then it becomes a stumbling block. It would be like putting on a, uh, a pair of shoes that we fantasize and we want to wear and we think are going to be great and help us run better, but they're way too large and heavy for us. Sure. And so instead of helping us run, we're awkwardly flopping around. <laughs> and so um, I, I'm a believer in uh, adopting a framework and doing things that uh, a, are just natural to us. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. It just has to make sense. And then it has to become something that we kind of naturally live through. And that takes a little bit of practice. And yeah, yeah, for sure. Lightroom is a good example. You know, like it, we can get to the point of an inane level of attention of how we process our images or our pictures, um, how we ingest uh, the data and move through it. Um, sometimes it's really nice to just fly through it, you know, yep. <laughs> like sometimes there's a beauty. It's going, I'm just going to, I have to, I need six pictures for my, for our Instagram right now. And I'm just going to pick the first six versus going through a massive call and narrowing down nine times. You know, there's, there's, there's a joy in having a framework that allows you some flexibility. 
I, I, that's and it's a great point, and and I think really this is all just great food for thought because I, I acknowledge too the the reality, which is that not everybody is going to work the same way. Some people like a little bit more of a process, and then and then some people like to just simply they keep it simple. They they like to get things done, and so I, this is really great food for thought. I think we could almost make this first, even this just this first question, an episode in and of itself. But I, I appreciate you sharing your perspective on on this idea of saving time. And and certainly the, the significance of how philosophy should should drive how we use the tools for the sake of saving time. Let's move on to another one though, and, and I'm curious um, to get your take on the question of centeredness or being more present, more focused. You know, this is something that in some ways has become a bit cliche in our culture. We talk about the significance of being present, and and it's more talk than doing. And and I'll raise my hand; I've been guilty of the same thing. But how do you find managing a team, running a business, kind of dealing with the craziness of 2019 America? What, what is it that you do to, to stay present, to stay focused um, despite it all? Uh, hold on one second. I'm, hold on. Nathan, I'm, getting, uh, I'm just getting a little text here on my phone. Yeah, no worries. Uh, yeah, give me a second. Um, okay, yeah, just go ahead. You can just tell me more about that, Nathan. I'm totally paying attention here. I'm just... I got, I got a text or a babysitter, but yeah, no, I'm hundred percent with you. Right. You're, I hope you're catching where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> Very well played. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so how many times are we in conversations with people and we're watching them just, they get like, you're talking with them, you're looking at them and all of a sudden something happens Yeah. and then they're, now they're talking with somebody that's not even physically present. There's some digital interaction they have to have. And how often do we do that ourselves? Right. And and so I don't want a soapbox here. Not my goal. I'm actually uh, huge. I, I have an iPhone. I have an Apple Watch. I've got an iPad. I've got all the, the stuff. Um, and I really enjoy it. It helps me with my life quite a bit. I'm also a geek, so it's really fun. But there is this reality that our culture has accepted this level of digital pinging and interruption uh, that has actually affected our ability to focus with each other. And on some level, some level it ends up being as overt as, I'm talking to you and all of a sudden you're looking down at your phone because you yes. got to talk to somebody else. And, yes. And it's socially accepted, you know, but, and then on another level, I, I also think we're slowly training our brains to just to be interrupted and to not be able to focus. So even if a phone isn't the interrupter, it's, I need a distraction while I'm talking to you. And so I'm looking around and, and so I've to, to cut to the meat of it. I have specifically and purposefully, you know, I, I have devices, but I, I, I keep them away from my relationships. I keep them away from times where I'm connecting with other people. I, I do that so that I can learn to be present with people. And it is honest to goodness. It, it takes a lot of effort. Um, it's gotten a lot easier over the years as I put it into practice, but um, it's simply a matter of saying my phone's down. I've turned notifications off on my watch. So it's not buzzing in my arm every five seconds. Yeah. Somebody texts me. Yeah. I can, can check my text later, you know, and, and it even finds its way into my workflow when I'm working, I'm sitting down on my computer, you know, we, I, I don't have my, um, my text messages on my computer. I don't have my phone near me. It's answerable should it ring, but it's not an arm's reach that way. When I'm calling as a good example, or I am uh, planning or doing something, any sort of marketing or any, any bit of things I can actually not be interrupted. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it really comes down to this is training our brains. There's an incredible book called Friction, hmm. um, which is a, a must-have read from anyone. It's a, it's actually a very visually beautiful book. It came out last year. I cannot remember the author's name. Forgive me. It's probably about 20 feet from me. But he actually cites a lot of studies where our brains are actually being ruined by our pinging technology about how it's actually affecting our, our productivity and our ability to communicate. Yeah. Is, is this uh, Jeff Rosenblum by any chance? 
Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Incredible book. Yeah, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. I haven't had the opportunity oh. to to read it yet, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to add that to my list now too because that looks quite interesting. That's one of the few books that I don't recommend doing like an audio only book. I recommend actually looking at it because it's a very digestible visual book, especially okay. for us visually minded people. It's one of the more visually laid out books that I've just most enjoyed. And um, it's very relevant. It's very recent too. I mean, we're talking within the last year it's been published. So everything in it's like super up to date. Love that. Okay. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes as well. And actually it's a great segue to our, uh, to my next question. And, and I'm, you know, I actually have this question written out as what's the most impactful book that you've read, but the idea of limiting it to just one, um, seems kind of crazy in the context of our conversation. <laughs> so maybe the top two or three that come to mind, and this could be business books, sure. self-help or otherwise. The most impacting books I've ever read are it's a toss out between Twilight and Twilight New Moon. <laughs> um, you know, and then I, I know you're only asking about books, but I'll tell you the documentary based on the books, the real life documentary, the Twilight movie Absolutely. was eye opening. I mean, for the first time <laughs> in my life, I was really challenged and got to see what it really looks like when uh, they followed around this vampire. His name was Edward. He fell in love with this human girl, Bella, and it was beautiful. And up to that point, I mean, I might sound close-minded, but I was very against vampire-human love. Um, <laughs> it was just, I had like this moral issue from my upbringing. Yeah. yeah. And as a company, we even had a policy where like, we will not photograph vampires. <laughs> not our thing. And then I watched that documentary and I was like, oh, we are, I am for that. That is love. Yeah. So let's do that. So yeah. Yeah. So this is like this niche market we've gotten into as well. I mean, that's another podcast. Oh man, well um, done, well no. done. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, I obviously have a few books. I, I mentioned the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. Yeah, uh, definitely. I'll read. It's uh, it's actually a mandatory read for our staff. Like you, upon entrance, uh, you do that as a book study with me over the first six months of your employment. Hmm. So I think it's a fundamental book that really kind of gets at our inner workings. But a most recent book I'm loving, um, and we're actually doing this as a whole, our whole team. Uh, we're all reading this together and we're having weekly meetings. Um, we're reading this over the course of two months is uh, a current book by Brene Brown. She just authored Dare to Lead. Um, and it's a book about um, personal, interpersonal leadership as well as, um, you know, leadership of small teams. And yeah, it, it kind of spans from anything to everything. And it's, it's about kind of inward self-work, like what's happening inside of us and in, in tough conversations and how do we work well with others in tough conversations? I, it's already been massively impactful on how I've worked with other people or even how we've interacted with clients. So, wow. Okay. So we'll make sure to link to that in the book. I, I think we had maybe one other guest that also mentioned that, that book. And, and we've had a number of guests that have mentioned Brene Brown and, and her books in the past as well. We'll make sure to link mm -hmm. to, to this book and to the others that we mentioned in the show notes. And, and uh, for those of you listening in, do take advantage of the show notes. Haley does just such a wonderful job of putting together just incredible amount of resources there at bocapodcast.com to go along with each of these episodes. Um, make sure that you go check them out. Uh, so here's a, here's a quick question for you, or maybe one that, that begs a quicker answer. What is something that you've learned as a business owner so far that has been most impactful to you that you'd just be, if you had 15 seconds in an elevator to, to say to a new photographer, Hey, as you build your business, I want you to keep this in mind. What would that thing be? 
Um, twofold, and I will keep them very short. One is that you ought to not just be good at what your profession is, in this case, being a photographer, but you really need to master what it means to, to be a business person. Hmm. So sales and marketing being chief amongst them. Uh, secondarily, um, would be find your unique niche, figure out what it is that makes you unique and then live on that. Don't just look at what everybody else is doing. Do you? And, and what is the, and again, just to push back a little bit here, cause I, I, I love the way that our conversation is flowing. What is, what is your take on uh, the balance between, you know, just saying a phrase like be you or do you mm-hmm. and actually doing that thing, but more specifically, how, how can you, I mean, there's 7 billion people in the world. How, how do you actually be you and, and that come out in such a way that it's, it enables you to create a very distinct, something that we're going to actually talk about next, a, a brand position. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, functionally, how you do it is by start, it's so, so tempting, especially when you're trying to make something to look left and right and simply copy. Um, and if, if we're honest about ourselves as photographers, I think we spend a lot of time when we're starting the beginning of our company. The first thing we do is we look at every other photography in the market and we go, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll do what they're doing. So the way we structure our websites to the way we communicate our brand to the way we even go about doing business. Um, like meaning like, uh, I don't know, I, I, I would be willing to bet that most people listen to this podcast have, you know, two photographer teams and they just do that and, mm. and that might work for them, but none of us stop to ask why. Um, and none of us stop to ask why we have photography in our brand name, you know, like why, why, why not use the word vision or, or images or why, why not something different? Yeah. You know, you know, how, why, why do you, why do we always just look left and right and carbon copy? Um, so I'd say, I think the first step is to stop looking outside and, and, and to look into different, like different businesses to look at, go look at the architects of the world, go look at the culinary businesses of the world. Think about how they're structuring their businesses and and find that foothold and bring that into photography, find it, bring that into art. That helped me so much. Well, and then the other thing too, and this is something that we talk about, and, and this is really a great segue to, to the conversation around brand position is to look at if not looking outward um, in the context of copying somebody else, or as you know, a lot of people like to, to throw the phrase out there, finding inspiration. Let's be real; that most of that is just simply copying <laughs> some element of what somebody else is doing. Mm-hmm. But um, so we want, we definitely want to avoid that. And and I like the idea of pulling uh, so-called inspiration from other industries. But then simultaneously, I think it's good to, and, and again, I'm curious to your take on this, to develop a certain amount of awareness of the market so that you can actually create something that doesn't already exist. Um, how do you balance mm-hmm. not paying attention with paying attention in that context? Oh God, it's, it's, it's so hard. And it takes it like, um, and I know for sure, we certainly dealt with that when I was starting. So to some degree, I mean, there's um, effective ways of, you know, maybe building a, a list of saying, okay, this is what I'm seeing that's consistent across all of my competitors. Here they are. And you go out and do a market analysis, you know, and it's, it's marketing one-on-one, but sit down and go, what are they all doing? Okay. Why are they doing that? Mm. Like if, if I were to look at across all of them, everybody's giving, everybody's providing digital files. Okay. It looks like that's consistent. Is that something I want to do? Why are they doing that? Now I'm making the moment. Yes, we provide digital files. So I'm not getting on, you know, the different side of the equation of that, but simply put, you've got to figure out the, what is actually out there. And that's important. And you know, uh, make a list of consistencies, but then start to question why. I just don't think we question why very often, yeah. you know, and that's, I think that's the biggest problem is, is, is that right there. 
Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the, the significance of philosophy that drives what we do instead of just kind of haphazardly doing. And, and again, I've been guilty. When I started in photography, such a large part of the motivation for getting involved in photography, uh, well, ultimately professionally, was just that I loved the gear. I mean, there was, there was little philosophy that was driving what I was doing at that point, but ultimately creating what I alluded to earlier, the big picture view, the philosophy, the, the goal set that drives what we do, um, that will actually give us reason. Um, but we need to take the, we actually need to take the time to sit down and to consider the why. And I, and I like that you're emphasizing that. Speaking of brand position, what is your photography business's brand position? And just for context for those listening in, or more definition, if you will, what is the unique selling point of your photography business? There's several, but I'd say that it boils down to two. Okay. Um, one will sound cliche, but I'll share it because it's actually true. And it is, um, we are highly relational. We spend quite a bit of time building relationships with our clients and we back that up deeply. Um, and I'll get into that in a moment, but that's piece one. Okay. Um, secondarily, um, is that we are a team and that is a unique position for us. We are literally a team. There's uh, nine of us now on this team. We actually have a physical office on the West side of Cleveland. And so we bring that powerfully to our clients. Um, not that all nine of us show up at a wedding, and unless it's an Indian wedding, that's potentially you'll see all nine of us here. But yeah. um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's an important factor that we bring in because that allows us deeply to uh, innovate in different ways. And, and even they get, they get all of our brains at once. So, yeah, it's a huge. Those two pieces right there are definitely big for us, relationships and our team. And I know that you, you emphasize that on your website. I mean, even in the metadata, uh, I'm, I'm looking here because it, it actually pops up as I roll over the tab for your website. It says making the moment photography, making the moment a small, tight knit team of visual storytellers on, on the homepage of your site. It says we're a team of visual pioneers, artists who love to tell a story. And uh, we are going to talk more about how you've gone about scaling your business and building a team here in, in just a little bit. But let's, uh, you said you're a bit of a nerd earlier. Let's go to the nerdy side here. <laughs> talk to me a little bit about gear. What is a go-to piece of gear for you that you just are obsessed with? You know, it's so funny. I, um, I, I, we get asked this question from our clients and actually uh, most notably from photographers all the time. Whenever I spend time with a photographer, they're like, well, what, what is this? What's your favorite thing? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a technical answer and then I'm going to give you my real answer. <laughs> okay. Um, I, so the technical answer is truly any good piece of lighting equipment that we have our hands on. We do shoot with pro photos and we love them. I love, it doesn't matter to me if it's a pro photo or an alien bee or, uh, you know, anything that can kick out light and I can control and shape that light. It really doesn't. We just happen to have pro photos and alien bees. So, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But I really think lighting is the first thing I grab and that might be natural light. And I, I do use that as a tool, but if there's one thing I could not walk without, it would be like, I, I need my light. I really need to control the light in the situation. Mm. I think years ago, I would have picked one of our tilt shift lenses and those are great. Or, uh, you know, I would have uh, sworn to death over our 85-1-2L. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love it. And I've broken it a few times, but I love it. <laughs> uh, side story, Canon Professional Services, which is the Canon, they, they fix our equipment. I feel like I might own a small part of that company now. Right. <laughs> but so, um, but that's the technical answer, right? Um, I, I think on the real heartfelt answer is, and I think all of us have this and we just have to tap into it. And it's my best tool is me. And I, I don't mean this in this like um, sappy way. Please hear me. I really, really take time to actually make sure that I've mastered my equipment so well that I can stop using it hmm. and I can start being with the people around me and with me. Yes. So 
when I'm working with a couple or a bridal party of 15 people, 20 people, does not matter. I literally have taken the time to connect with them. I know everybody's name, first name basis. I'm looking them in the eye and I'm talking with them. I'm engaging and I'm using my personality. I'm, I'm using that as a tool to leverage trust, to promote engagement so that when I am capturing that picture, there's an actual authentic connection between you and them. I could have the, I could have a piece of crap broken 50 millimeter lens on an old Canon 20D. Yeah. And if I had that connection between me and somebody else, that picture is 10 times better than, you know, whatever, you know, the Canon 5D4, whatever your pick is and whatever L lens you pick, doesn't matter. Nikon, I don't care if you have the best stuff in between you and the camera or in between you and the person, but you don't have anything good between you and the person in reality, then that picture is nothing. And, and I, I'm going to leave it at that as much as I want to comment. I, th- I think you summed it up beautifully. And, uh, for those listening in, I encourage you to, to spend time learning your gear in such a way that it does free you up to connect with that client. I think that's, that's a absolutely just incredible point I want to move to, to this conversation around team building. And, and really it's, it's kind of a, a, uh, a two part conversation almost because when we talk about the idea of building a team, first of all, it, this is not as common a concept in our industry uh, as maybe in other industries where you see you know companies, they might start with two or three people and then they grow to 10 and 15 and 20 and, and beyond. Um, in the, the photography industry, normally it's an individual photography, uh, photographer. It's, it's a one woman or one man show. And, and yet there are really wonderful opportunities on the other side of just doing everything ourselves to build a business um, that is scalable for the long term. And so I want to dig into what this process looks like for you. And maybe the, the, you actually alluded to paradoxes leading up to this conversation today. We're going to, we're going to dive into those. The paradox is innate to this conversation, but talk to me first about what the impetus was for you to, to move beyond just being a photographer on your own and actually building a team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, this is two pieces. One piece is just my natural drive. I like people. And I like small groups of people specifically. I mm. was in the U.S. Army prior to this. I was in charge of a small group of soldiers. Most of my life has been moving from groups of small group leadership to the next. So I'm just uniquely wired for small groups of people. I like to motivate and change and affect and be influenced by that. So that that's part one, and that's just my wiring and makeup. Have you ever explored the, the, what drives that, the psychology behind that? No, <laughs> I wish I could give you some sort of beautiful answer there, but I really haven't. It's just part of, it's just something I've discovered. It's, it's taken me years ago. I just like this, you well, know? And, and I can certainly see that. I, I was telling you before, I was complimenting you actually before we get started on your, not only your, your passion for leadership, but your, your seeming skill in that. Um, it's very, very apparent. And I don't know that I was even familiar with the fact that, that you have military experience and, and leadership innate to that experience as well. Um, thank you for your service. But uh, it's interesting that you're able to then translate that to a team. So, yeah, d- take me back a little bit. What was and, and how long ago did this process start of building a team? Okay, so the process of building the team, we've been in business for 14 years. Okay. And the first, oh, geez, five or six let's say five years, because I think we hired Renee nine years ago. The first five years, it was just me. 
you know, here and there I'd have like, you know, a freelancer or I'd hire an assistant for different things, but it was me just like most, you know, just, just like most. But in this season of my life, like many of our listeners, I had a side job. I was um, making the moment was not my full-time income at the time. I was working at a marketing and branding agency, which was a small team, Hmm. you know? So I definitely had my fix of being on a small team and being underneath leadership and, and really developing and growing there while I was playing with this little laboratory of a side project, which would eventually become what making the moment is today. Okay. There came a point too, where I really started to believe in the simple philosophy that I cannot make in the moment will not survive if I just keep doing what everybody else is doing. Um, and, and so on a kind of a step out of our own photography world for a moment, kind of moment, I, I did, I looked at other businesses and I said, you know, a, a hospital is not a hospital with one doctor it's, it's a doctor, you know, and, and, and if I wanted to have a restaurant, I, I could not be a restaurant owner. If it was just me, I would be, you know, I'd have a food truck, hmm. right. They're just substantially different things. And that's fine. If I felt, if I wanted to be into food and I wanted to do it by myself, food truck might be a great option. Right. But the problem is there are so many of these cases where photography business owners say, well, I'm a, I'm a photography company. I am a company. And yet they haven't really identified what they really are. And, and oftentimes we're not able to say it, but we're, we often, we're, we are a business and we're legitimate, but we're, we're not able to function as fully and as well as if we were able to have people around us that were impacting us and that we were um, impacting and growing with. And so as I looked at every other successful business outside of photography, I realized that grouping together is naturally what happens in the business world, but in the photography world, we're all friends most of the time, but we are like working in silos left and right. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. So you have this in every photographer, if you ask what's your, you know, who's your biggest competitor, they're not really most, if they're not honest, they're not going to name one person because it's not, it's not one person that's taking all their business away. It's a thousand other people in their market. Hmm. And so consequently, we had this consequently, we had this incredibly divided business environment, but we never stopped to ask why, and if that's healthy for us. And so, I, I made the decision. I said, I, I would really like to see if I can get people who are like-minded and want to work together to see how good they can get and how good we can get. And I just took a stab at it I, piece by piece. And I found people who wanted it, who were ready and wanting to grow, like uh, who wanted somebody to look at their work and give them feedback, who wanted to look at my work and give me feedback, um, who were curious about how I was shooting and wanted to figure something out. Um, and, 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 and all humility, I was actually more curious about how others were shooting because I, I, I didn't look at myself to be that great of a photographer 10 years ago. And I would, I would see what somebody was doing. And I'd say, how are they doing that? Why does their color look that way? Why, what's going on here? I don't understand what lens you're using. How did you make that happen consistently? Well, I mean, a seminar might do that for a little bit, but really working with somebody over the course of years is really how you um, are affected by somebody. So I wanted that. And I found people who wanted to do that. And we built it piece by piece by piece and are still building it today. And do you think that, I mean, you've already alluded to the fact that you feel maybe uh, less the photographer than maybe a business person, somebody who is, is just so focused on developing relationships with clients, with your team and ultimately building a business. But for those photographers who maybe look at themselves a bit more as an artist than a business person, this idea of building a team, does your art have to get lost in the process of building a team where now the brand isn't just a reflection of one individual's vision. It's a reflection of, of a team of photographers vision. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Oh, yeah. Now, it, it depends on how you look at art. And this almost comes down to actually Anna, who is our cinema team lead. She's in charge of our, we actually offer uh, video, wedding video here. Okay. Uh, Anna often talks about like films and movies. And we talk about this all the time. Like, it, it, did you, you know, have you seen the most recent Steel, Steven Spielberg film? Okay. Have you? Yes. No, you have. Right. But is it really his film? Hmm. And, and whose film is it? I mean, he's, he's the director. Okay, great. Well, was he also the writer? Was he the first, you know, first camera operator? So what, you get where I'm saying, like, it right. takes hundreds and hundreds of people to make these things that we look at our culture and go, that is art. Even every song we hear and go, God, that's beautiful. Well, that's not one artist. That is, that is such an amalgamation of people coming together to create an art form. It, it's, it's a piece of work. It's a body of work. It's not a painting by one person. And so um, we see this modeled again outside of our business. And so many of us cling so hard and go, ah, I don't know if I can let go of my art. The reality is you can do so much more. Steven Spielberg could never do what he is and be who he is if it weren't for the hundreds and thousands of people who go alongside him to make those films. They're all their films. He just, you know, happens to be leading that ship. Right. And so to build into your question, I, I just want to provide some groundwork first. Um, the reality is, yes, there is a paradox here. And I, I think we were talking about them a little bit. There is a paradox where I certainly, as an artist, I'm, you know, I still photograph weddings. I work with five to 10 couples a year now, which I love and I find exciting and freeing. Um, yes. But there is, uh, with those clients specifically, I can centrally focus my art. And yet it is definitely impacted by every artist on this team. I can't tell you how many little points and influences every person on this team's had in making me a better photographer. But there is this reality where I've had to let go. And I think any good business owner and any good leader has to let go. And so there's this reality where the other photographers on this team are photographing and, and leading and, and doing their own shoots. And I'm not behind the camera with them. You know, that would be uh, atrocious and obnoxious. Um, <laughs> I am, I, I am, uh, the only thing I'm doing is coaching them here and there when they come back. You know, I'm mm. not editing their pictures for them. I, I'm I'm reviewing their work with them and challenging them and encouraging them just as they are doing for me. Uh, but I've, I have to let go of if, if I'm going to, you know, see if I can make a group of people become the best they can be. I, I certainly have to not be a micromanaging control freak. And that's hard for some people. And I get that. Well, so there are a couple of things I want to touch on here that are really significant that you've brought, you've brought up because again, there's incredible opportunity, business opportunity for those of us who are willing to consider the, the, the notion of hiring an individual or two or three people or five or 10 people, whatever it might be for the sake of growing our business, scaling our business and ultimately freeing ourselves up. And I'm going to come back to that specifically here in just a second, but you mentioned the, the importance of collaboration and I have to harken back to episode 63. We'll link to this in the show notes for those of you listening. And if you haven't heard the conversation with my good friend and, and talented photographer, Thomas Flint, Thomas spoke to the very thing that you just did, uh, Brett, which is musicians. So much of what musicians produce are collaborations. This idea that an individual musician does all of the work, the writing, the playing, the production, the marketing, and so on and so forth is is just it would be uh, almost insane to assume, and yet photographers, in some case cases, um, kind of go on these these ego trips, and and I don't say that um, lightly and certainly critically, but there is there is a tendency for our egos to get in the way of potentially running a more effective business, 
And if we're willing to, and, and I, again, I'll raise my hand here. I've been guilty of this very thing, not, not just maybe as a photographer, but even as a CEO of, of photographers edit where I need to not only work on building a, a more effective team that will enable us to grow, but then learn how to continue to give up control. That's so significant. I think that's really, really important. And the cool thing about giving up control, and this is the second point I wanted to get to, I love that you made this point, is that it frees you up. So you, Brett, uh, are a business person and an artist. You get to be both. And, and a big part of that is thanks to your willingness to let go. So you have a team that is helping you manage all of the clients that you have, which then enables you to focus on the five or 10 weddings a year. And I think that's a really great example of this idea. Another one, editing. Uh, One of the things that I've said multiple times over for those who are considering outsourcing or delegating editing work is that the idea of giving up control doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with your art. You can outsource the majority of the the busy work or delegate the majority of the busy work. And that gives you then time to focus for an hour or two on, you know, processing. If you just really love Lightroom and you like to touch those images, more power to you. Go do that, knowing that somebody's handling the majority of the busy work, which is freeing you up to focus on that artwork. So I think business and art, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. and, And this is a really great example of that. But let's let's dig into this just a little bit more. You sent me a, a list of paradoxes, if you will. We've alluded to them already that are innate to this process of scaling a business, growing a team. And I'd love for you to just break those down for our listeners, if you will. Absolutely. And so the idea here is uh, that there are certain things that go and work against each other, but they work together at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to be prepared to accept them as, as if you're going to try and grow anything. And I think even if, even if this, even if a listener is just a, a one person shop, right. You know, a husband and wife, or just, you know, you're by yourself, you're, you're still on some level dealing with these. Um, but as you seek to scale, um, if you do, then here are things that I've discovered that kind of live in contrast. The first one was revenue growth potential. Yeah. And that gets balanced by the reality of increased overhead and expenses. <laughs> right. And so, you know, they live, you know, for example, what that essentially means is to make more money, you got to spend more money. And, it, it, and it's like, okay, great. Well, we can, um, you know, to, to scale our team means we have higher revenues. But that does not mean profits, but that just means higher revenues. There's more money coming in. But the paradox is then, well, to do that, it's going to cost us more money. And I, I think the first part of the equation sounds really sexy to a lot of people. The second one, it gives people stomach cramps. And I get that. So I just, I feel like in order to accept that, hey, if we're going to scale this, it is going to mean that there's going to be more expenses. We need to plan for that. We need to understand what those are and take control of them. But they live together. That's the only way we can do it. But for those, and, and again, I'll raise my hand here, who are, I mean, one of my, my biggest weaknesses as a photography business owner, something that I've had to, to learn more about over the years to improve as a, just a business owner, period, um, was numbers, my understanding of numbers how how those numbers not only play into ultimately making a profit at the end of the year, but then, of course, data for the sake of marketing and, and running, ultimately building a more effective marketing campaign. Numbers are significant, but a lot of photographers, and I would venture potentially most photographers who are you know just beginning or have been running a photography business for a little bit of time, would be the first to say, I'm not great with numbers. This idea then of adding more potential expense to you know the the uh, uh, the numbers that I'm having to keep track of, and then trying to make a, a profit despite that, I, that, that just kind of boggles my mind. I don't know how to make sense of that. What would your what would your response to that be? 
Uh, there's so, okay, there's two ways you can do this. And I, I do think it's worth it. If you don't, how can I put this? If you're not keeping track, I will track you down. Yes. <laughs> so, you you know, I think a lot of photographers either uh, just, you know, they, they can often live in fear because that same thing, well, I'm not good with the number. So I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll spend what I got in the account, the bank account as I got it. And I'll pay myself when I can. But that attitude never changes. You'll actually never really be able to, um, in the end, take care of yourself if you don't take this head on. So hmm. there's a down and dirty way to handle it. Um, and then there's a ton of software out there. Uh, there's a million simple, even, you can even use a household budget calculator yeah. to figure out, Hey, you know, here's my expenses to make this business work, including paying myself, you know, here's all these things. How much money do I need to bring in to make that reality happen? And, um, and it, the first time I did it, I went to, um, good night. It must've, it was, uh, uh, imaging USA. And this must've been, I don't know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, on the plane, I heard a talk where somebody was talking essentially about this, like, hey, you know, if you want to make sure you're doing all your business, you need to understand your books. And that all scared me because I was like, well, I don't know, I, does that mean I got to have QuickBooks and what do I do with that? And um, I talked with the, the conference speaker after and I said, what, what is the, what's, what's a quick way I can do this? And he's like, well, open up Excel. At the time, that's what I used. It wasn't Google Spreadsheets, but Spreadsheets works fine. And, and I just built out, I literally just built a simple like expense sheet. I said, well, I know every year I'm spending X amount of dollars on, on you know, um, insurance. I'm spending X amount of dollars on, on my marketing. I know so I, I could put down, so I'm paying, I want to pay myself this. This is what I'm paying myself now. I would rather pay myself this. And I had an expense column within like 20 minutes. It didn't take long. I'm like, oh okay, my expenses are X amount of dollars in a given year. Okay, well, that means my revenue has got to be that. And so I, then I was like, well, okay. And my revenue has to be, I don't know, let's just make up a number. If my revenue has to be $250,000 in a given year for me to handle my expenses, okay, well, how many like shoots do I want to take on? I, I, I just, at the time, I was only doing weddings. I wasn't doing anything else. So I was like, well, if, if I want to make $250,000 in a year of revenues, then how many weddings do I want to do? I, I want to do 25. Okay. Well, I, geez, I need to rake in 10 grand on each of those. Right. You know, so then that affected my pricing that changed how I did pricing. That yes. changed, you know, you know, so in, in those numbers obviously aren't historically accurate in any way. I'm just throwing them out for conjecture sake. It would be great to do 25 weddings and each get 10 grand out of all of them. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would be great. But this, this points to the significance though of, of, you know, the phrase, which again, can seem kind of cliche. You hear it a lot, but knowledge is power. And I think the biggest where I particularly fell short as a photography business owner was that because of of negative experiences, usually self-imposed with finances, I tended to avoid being proactive and not only being aware of the numbers, but then managing those numbers in such a way that at the end of the day, I was I was making an effective profit, paying my taxes on time. And, and so it was, I, I lived in this sense of fear. And, and again, it was a self-imposed fear because of the way that I was reacting rather than being proactive. So developing a certain yeah. level of knowledge is so significant. And, and you pointed out the fact that we've got all these tools now. I mean, I remember using QuickBooks back in whatever it was, 2004, 2005, maybe even before then. And it was this clunky piece of desktop software and it was extremely overwhelming. Fast forward now, you know, 15 years and we've got the software on our phones and it's so user-friendly. There's very little reason now not to be, first of all, proactively tracking our income and expenses and ultimately being able to, to very simply 
generate a, a simple PL profit and loss statement, be aware of what those numbers look like for the sake of then, as you pointed out, Brett, proactively deciding how you know how many weddings or portrait sessions I need to book and what I need to be charging for those. Uh, we've touched on pricing here on the podcast quite a bit, and I've said before it's, it tends to be overcomplicated uh, because photographers aren't looking at the right or uh, looking at it from the right angle. That the right angle should begin with just a simple awareness of what you need to make, and then you can do very simple multiplication, addition, subtraction as needed in order to figure out what you need to charge. And um, so awareness of the numbers is is such a huge thing. I, I, I would also ask though very quickly, Brett, because I know we've got more information to cover here, but in addition to using those tools, as you pointed out, would you, what is the significance of, of hiring a professional or professionals to help you with that as well? Because even with awareness for me, I'd still rather not spend a ton of time proactive, you know, managing the, the, the numbers myself. I'd rather have somebody else take care of that for me, just have the awareness. Would you recommend hiring a, an accountant to bookkeeper or otherwise? Highly. Yeah, that was, um, um, probably about 10 years ago, we hired our accountant whom we still have today and he does help with quite a bit of our business planning, you know, and we've just, the key is finding somebody you trust that you can communicate with that will also educate you. Yes. I, I, I think, you know, easily shame or fear can creep in and finding somebody to help you because you're mm. like, I don't want them to see what I'm making or doing. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But, but you get over that hurdle real quick when you realize that that their job is not judgment, it's just to help you. So, but I've learned so much. Um, my advice would be to hand off, but keep hands on, not out of lack of trust, but actually so that you grow and yes. learn. You know, Renee and I still, um, uh, we have an accountant who handles all of our tax filings and helps us with all the preparations and everything does so much. But yet at the same time, Renee and I are fully aware of what's happening with the business. Right. We're keeping our, our heads on about income projections and you know expenses, because if not, then if we're not educated as it's happening, then we're missing out. And we're just, like you said, being reactive to what already happened rather than planning ahead. Oh, that, that's a great, great summation. Take, take us to the next paradox though. Ability to reach more people as opposed to the loss of individual connection personally with your clientele. Hmm. And, and this is, um, this was actually probably the trickier one for me um, because I'm a connector and I love people. And I, every, we have a phrase here. We actually have it hung on our wall in our office. It's this beautiful piece of art we've made out of nails and wood. And it says, come as clients, leave as friends. Hmm. And it is very true to our experience with our customers, but it, it really comes to a point because early on in my career, uh, many of my clients became very, very close friends of mine. And to this day, still, I'm always discovering new friendships. But as we are able right now, making the moment, we'll geez, easily work with 125 to 200 couples throughout a given year. And that flexes and varies as we grow. And a lot of that's kind of like trying to figure out and separate what is our video clients and our photography clients. But we connect with a lot of people. Wow. But for me, the hardship has been, I mean, I know them all They're, you know, I've met them all. I'm usually very involved in the sales process. So I get to know everybody's story and know who they are. And I'm, I, my job here is also art reviews. So I'm looking through all the artwork and giving feedback to the artists, but so I'm seeing their pictures and I'm seeing their faces and digitally meeting their families. But it's it, the hardest thing for me is not knowing their parents and not knowing their stories personally. And that's hard, but that, you know, to us, it has allowed us to collectively connect with more people. Certainly we're not strangers. I'm not strangers with these folks, but that, that, that's been the biggest trade-off for me as I've looked through them. And, and there's something to be said. I'm sure you could, you could speak to this for an extended period of time and, and training your team to, I don't know if it's necessarily communicating with your voice, but to at least share in that passion for connection with others and trusting that they're able to do that 
uh, once you've instilled those those principles, those concepts in them, correct? Oh, 100%. You know, some of it is training. Like, there's certain, like, touch points we teach people on, on what matters and, and how to do that. But um, we can never teach those uh, external habits without making sure that they first have this inmost desire for friendship and people. So mm. we only allow staff here to be part of this team when not only are they an exceptional artist, but when they're also um, people minded and, and they would naturally say, Oh, I want to, I want to see if the, maybe they'll go on a double date with me and my girlfriend, you know, like that's, that's the kind of staff that we have here. In fact, wow. there's so often they're literally, we have, we've had clients stop in, in the last year. I've noticed they've come in and they didn't come. I'm like, Oh, are they here to pick something up? Or cause I know them. Like, I know your face. I'm like, Oh, did you ever print? And they're like, no, I just want to say hi to Tyler. We're going out with him next week. And I wanted, and you know, and we're doing this and I'm, me and my girlfriend are going out with him and his girlfriend. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and I love that. I'm like, that is the best. I'm like, good. That's part of the culture and something I can't teach. I can only promote. Wow. That's incredible. That, that speaks loudly for what you've created there as a team. I, I want to get to the, the third paradox. And, and this is something that we've kind of touched on briefly already, but the, the contrast or the paradox between innovation and creation and, and artistry and uh, then this idea of losing control of quality or style through the process of delegating the photography to a team. Can you speak on that a bit? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I wrote this out in such a way, but I'm realizing that an important edit would be made now that I'm thinking it through better. There is this contrast and this paradox between our minds merging and all of us collectively creating a, is, is one certain power and strength. Like there's something amazing that making the moment can do because we are just always, we're, there's like an open bullpen environment downstairs. You know, at any given moment, somebody walks by somebody else's computer and says, wow, what is that? How'd you do that? Wow. And then they're talking and then they're saying, you know, it would really work. Why don't you try this? Hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden innovation is that there's something that's just, you cannot get when you're by yourself, but that's in contrast to uh, you as an individual losing that control, you know, losing that, that control of style. Because certainly there's no doubt in my mind that the artists on our team do things different than me and they do things different than what I would have done. And you know what? That is awesome <laughs> yeah. because I am not, I am not the best. I'm, I'm good at what I do. And I, I certainly come up with some really cool stuff, but um, the things that these artists and these people have come up with here are definitely things that I never would have come up with myself. So what I've discovered is that the perception is that you are going to lose quality so that the idea of team innovation is somehow opposed to the loss of, of control of quality. And that's how I wrote this. The reality is, is I, I have not seen us lose. I have not, Hey, I haven't lost control of quality because there's still ways to keep quality checks in place when you're growing a team. Still there. If anything, it's more refined than when I was by myself. I, I had one of my photographers yesterday talking with me about how she felt that I, she's like, you know, I'm looking at your post-production. Have you thought about making sure these images are straight? I feel like when you give these images over, some of your room shots are a little crooked. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> but, so I think there's a little bit more uh, end of quality than you get by yourself as you actually have somebody else kind of pushing back on yeah, you. But yeah. the, one, the one, one thing you definitely lose is control style. And I think that's important because if I were to force this team to think like I do and do the same thing I would do, it would be boring as hell. I don't want clones. You know, I really want people who push and some of the stuff, especially if you, if, if somebody's on our blog and they look at uh, our image of the year competition from just a month ago or two months ago, the images, the pictures in that competition, uh, they are mind blowing. And they are all a result of uh, just uh, people who felt free. Mm. And I love that. Like that to me, I'm like, God, that's awesome. I never would have thought of that. I never would have made that picture happen. That's so cool. 
Well, and there's something else to this conversation too, and I'd be curious to get your take on it. it is you know, photographers put so much emphasis on this notion of style when the reality is most clients, and I'll say most because I know there's always an exception to, to well, pretty much anything that we talk about here on the podcast, but most clients, and, and I can say this from personal experience, don't notice the difference between one particular so-called style and another. That's not really what they're actually paying attention to. They may say, you know, I saw your work and it, it is really great and I love the, the creative angles and they're speaking at a very basic level, but they're not looking at these these images the way that we do as photographers and not placing importance on style the same way that we do. So I wonder if there's something more significant to focusing on that experience and the relationship as you're talking about than putting so much emphasis on the style where it gets in the way of the opportunity, again, to be able to, to build a team and delegate to them. Oh, 100%. We use style as a word so like I almost want to say flippantly yes, um, and carelessly because it is a very subjective term. And even as we try and describe style, I get this all the time. There's, you know, from whatever wedding web planning website, a client might walk in the door and have their 20 questions printed out. One of the questions inevitably is how do you describe your style? And, and I, I always have to think through how to make sure that they authentically know I'm not trying to be a jerk by saying, I can't. words i don't know like you know like really i'm like let's look at it and why don't you describe how you feel about it to me Hmm. because you might call it modern i I might call it timeless why you might modern or timeless might be traditional to you what do those words mean until you look at them right right and so i i i feel like these words are all super 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 subjective and so it's it's always really funny when i you know contemporary i'm a contemporary photographer versus you know, uh, a modern, I don't know, whatever these terms are, uh, <laughs> yep. you know, we, and we use photojournalism. So like I, I try and express to people that we do photograph moments and moments, you know, but we're not technically photojournalists hmm. because then we would never set anything up ever. We right. refuse to, right. Uh, you know, so, but yet we do. And I think we ought to, as wedding photographers decide if we're trying to tell people, Hey, I'm photographing stuff as it happens, but I'm also going to work with your family and make sure mom's looking at me and calling her for a picture. Right. But anyway, I forgive me for the tangent. I just, I do, I, I feel like style is such a funny word. And, and I, I, I do think it's something that's, it's really hard to pin down. And, and for us, it's more evolving than ever. Well, and, and again, it seems to, to be that you're focusing more on the experience and the relationship, which obviously is translating quite beautifully to, to your clients. So I, I think that's really, really great. Talk to me about what it means to manage and lead people uh, versus what it means to manage clients individually. And another one of the paradoxes innate to this conversation. Yeah. So if, as you scale a team, if you decide to, you really do move from, this is delegation 101, but you stop working individually with every one of your clients, you can't possibly do it. You tend to learn to work with your staff, with your people around you, and you learn to lead them and, and how to help grow them so that they can uh, lead their clients, so that they can manage their clients. And, and, and it's, to some degree, this is a paradox, and it depends, on, and you have to accept it. Um, and some degrees, it's a reality, because if you want to have your hands on every you know, client you work with and, and give and make sure that they're connecting with you personally and that they're getting all of your attention, awesome. I'm more power to you. But if you scale, that cannot happen. And if it does, you're going to be exhausted. You'll never have any time to yourself. Yeah. You'll never have a time to actually grow the business and it will probably fizzle out. Not only that, but your clients won't get all of you anyway. And then you're also probably robbing the people around you of the opportunity to 
you know, take care of clients and learn how to care for people. I spent a lot more time teaching the staff, you know, this is how we care for people. This is how you care for a client, whether they have a problem, you know, they're upset about something, um, they're, or they're just, they want to start planning their day. They want to know how their timeline is going to work. They want to know how, where to go for their pictures. And I spend a preponderance of my time teaching our staff good methods on how to do that and even coaching them as they react to new situations, you know, as they'll come to me all the time, Brett, you know, this is what's happening to my client. They're, they're, uh, they don't know what to do. They're concerned about the lighting that is in their venue. They're not sure if they should do this color up lighting or this color up lighting. They're like, what do you think? I'm like, well, what do you think? You know, let's talk about that. Let's develop a way for them to communicate back. It's, it's, it's just, it's different entirely. So I'll, I'll work with the eight people here uh, beside, aside from me. And then uh, rather than the hundreds of people that we're all mutually connecting with. Do you ever, I mean, as much as I know you place importance on individual relationships, do you ever struggle with the the possibility that somebody is like a client of your business is going to come up to you and say, Hey, Brad, what's going on? You know, thanks so much for this and this. And you, you don't recognize them or you don't remember a name because this is something that I've really struggled with at Photographers Ed and even with Boca. You know, we've, I've done over 200 episodes now. And one of my biggest fears this past week being at WPPI was the possibility that somebody was going to, to come up and say, hey, thanks so much for you know having me on the podcast. I had such a great time. And because I haven't met them in person before, I'm, I'm not putting a face with the name. I don't recognize them. And I, and I would feel terribly about that because, of course, I, I appreciate the connection and the opportunity to have them on the podcast or, for that matter, to do business with them at Photographers Edit. Is this something you ever have run into? And how do you, how do you address that? Oh, 100% happens all the time. Because and this is I think happens to all of us in real life. Anyway, you know, you'll be somewhere in a, in a and you'll run into somebody and you can't quite place their face, but they recognize you and remember you. So we all deal with this. I have taught myself and practiced a few skills that help me. But first and foremost is honesty. Hmm. So uh, because we have a we, like I said, we have an open bullpen office on our first floor. And so clients will come in all the time. And odds are I've met them because I do a lot of our sales. So I might've spent like an hour and a half with them and hung out with them. Right. And we had a deep connection, but now I haven't talked to them in a year and a half. Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I really, I don't, I don't always know who they are and that can be really hard, but I recognize their face, you know, or worst case, they think that they know me because we have a lot of videos on our website. We do our Insta stories. And so they know me, but I don't know them. And they're, and, so, and, and sometimes it can be really hard to kind of filter out. Have I met you or do you just know our team a little bit. Um, I, I just tend to be pretty honest. So as far as practice goes, as they're talking to me and I'll go, I'll just simply early with the first 20 seconds ago, you know, forgive me. I'm trying to remember your first name and I feel so bad telling you this, but I'm going to tell you now. And usually they're very they're like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's so-and-so like, we haven't even met. I hear that more often. They're like, Oh, I, you know, I'm working with Tyler or, or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be like, you're working with who on our team. Can you remind me? I'll just, I'll, I'll try and put the pieces together, but I'll be very upfront about it. It does happen. <laughs> it's, Thank God it doesn't happen when it's like my clients, my brides and grooms or my parents like I have a pretty good memory. So <laughs> right. when they come in, I know exactly who they are. You know, as a team too, we, we have a, we use inner office messengers and our calendars pretty deeply. So we actually have a heads up when clients are coming in. So, you know, if Amber has one of her brides coming in to pick up something, it's either on the calendar or she'll slack it across our whole, our whole office and be like, Hey, you know, Dana's coming in too. She's my wedding bride in july say hi to her if you can and then she comes in we're like hey dana how's it going that's cool yeah. ready for july and she's like yeah like <laughs> um, so we, we try and help each other out because we all deal with it that's really really great i, I want to respect your time and we're, we're here to the to the last paradox if you will will you share that with our listeners sure. about managing 
ourselves versus leading others? What is that about? Okay. So I think um, in, in the end, this is a paradox, but also a state true reality. So um, as you are working for yourself and by yourself, which many people are, and I was for a long time, you are fundamentally managing yourself. Hmm. You're in charge of yourself. There's a beauty to that, right? So you have the ability to control your own schedule and do your own things. You can wear pajamas to work. You can stop working for an entire day if you want and blow it off. Uh, you could drink while you work. You could do whatever, right? And yet when you're leading, if you scale, there is a reality where uh, it shifts into leading others. Now, granted, these still work hand in hand because you're always managing yourself and I'm still a believer in self-management. But the truth is, is now I'm not just setting the pace for myself. Now I'm in charge of setting the pace for other people. I, I can't control them. I can't force them to do anything, but I can set standards and pace for them and, and, and think about them first and foremost. So um, this, you have to have your head on for this. Because if you don't, if you just expect that everybody will come in and self-manage and self-lead and, and be their own entrepreneur like you are and, and, and do everything without you voicing it to them, without them being aware of what your expectations are, or even worse yet, without you being aware of what your own expectations are and then voicing it to them, it's going to be a really hellish work experience for all of you. Hmm. So I, I think the most reason I point this out is because I think if the decision is to begin to grow your business in this way. If you want to bring other people on, whether it's freelancers or full-time employees like our office does, um, you really have to be prepared to not only take care of yourself, but you've got to be thinking about how and what you're communicating to other people. So, you know, leadership looks like a lot of different things for us. Like we do a lot of intentional um, conversations, whether they're employee reviews or um, we do a lot of touch points like book studies. We do a lot of book studies together as a team. We read together. You know, we, we, we have a lot of like little conversations. We'll kind of pepper in and check in on each other. We do a lot of training early on and continual training as somebody works here to make sure that they're in their best possible state. I remember when I was first learning this, when I first hired Renee and Renee worked for me and it was just me and her. And um, I, I remember often being so used to managing myself and not her. And she was, I mean, this is why Renee runs this business with me now because she's actually really a gifted leader. <laughs> but I, I, I would just look at it. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to be gone the rest of the day. I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to go play Call of Duty. <laughs> I'm going to go play some games. She's like, okay. And I would do that. Like, and I remember doing that, like, yeah. you know, or like she'd show up to work and I'd be like, you know, in uh, appropriate, but I'd be in pajamas. And I'd be like, oh yeah, maybe something needs to change. Maybe I cannot do this anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I just, uh, there's just a difference and you have to be prepared for that. And you know, I kind of learned those skills as I went. It's not like I had my head on straight perfectly when we were hiring people. I, I had to figure out how to even with silly things like how to like, oh, do we actually need to make an employee manual with standards and hmm. convey those to people. And, yeah. Um, little things like that. Incredibly important. Well, I, this has been such a great conversation. I, I, I have to say again, I just I love your enthusiasm and it translates not only in the conversation, but obviously to what you've done with your team and building a team and not just any team. I mean, these are, I love the way that you're so, uh, you almost treat them. It seems like, like family. I mean, we've had at this point, at least one or two conversations that in which it wasn't just me talking with you, Brett, it was you and a couple of members of your team. And I love the inclusion in that, that you're giving them that respect and that significance that they aren't just some employees along for the ride, that you're in this together. 
And uh, I, I think it's a really beautiful thing. Your perspective is incredible. And I know that this is such a loaded topic too. So I, I, you had mentioned to me that our listeners could have access to you and more specifically resources that uh, you've made available for them if, they, if they're curious to get more information about this and potentially other topics too, especially for newer photographers. Can you speak about those just briefly? Absolutely, because we've gone through this journey and are still even sojourners on it of what it means to grow um, and, and not just be a, a one or two person team here. I have a mission and belief in helping others with it. So, you know, oftentimes uh, while photographers reach out and ask me for help, I love to help. Um, you know, so it, generally that looks like consulting, you know, usually kind of like stepping in and providing some assistance in different ways. Um, a lot of times in like, even providing templates and ways that we hire people and how that looks. And, hmm. you know, how, how do you hire a freelancer? How do you have somebody who shoots alongside you? What do you do with that? What does it look like? How do you build contracts for that? How do you, you know, how do you talk with them? How do you pay them? All these sorts of conversations or somebody's hiring their first full-time employee. They want to have, even maybe it's a part-time employee. You want to hire somebody who's going to work in the office with you. Great. Let me help you with that. You know, we love helping people because there's a lot of little tricky things that um, you can learn the hard way or, you know, you can ask for help. <laughs> <laughs> you could talk to somebody who's done it. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Well, we'll make sure to, and we're going to have some, at least one or two links that we're going to put in the show notes. So for those of you listening in, if you haven't seen them already, just go over to Boca podcast, B O K E H podcast.com. And we'll make it easy for you to get in touch with Brett and his team and, um, and, and learn more about this process of building a team and effectively scaling your business. I think it's so huge. And I don't think I've actually mentioned this yet, Brett, but uh, for those of you listening in, Instagram, you're, you all are on Instagram at Making the Moment and uh, also your website, makingthemoment.com. And of course, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. But I have to thank you again for making time, so much time, in fact, and, and sharing such practical, helpful information for the Book of Podcast listeners. Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure, Nathan. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.